Good morning, church family. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is that kind of awkward week between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, one of the more popular sayings over the last week and the weeks ahead will be Happy New Year. Someone said that to me this morning as I, as I walked in. Um, I don't know about you, but I often uh, ask myself, when is it appropriate to stop saying Happy New Year to somebody? You know, you're in a work at meeting, uh, uh, and maybe you see a coworker. It's January 15th, and it's the first time you see him. Do you say Happy New Year? Do you not say Happy New Year? When we say Happy New Year, what do we mean by that? What would make a Happy New Year for you? Think about that for a second. What would make a Happy New Year for you? What would make you feel blessed in the new year? This morning, I want to help us think through what does it mean to be blessed or happy? How does the Bible define that for us? Our text this morning is going to be Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, we see the picture of a happy or a blessed man. Psalm 1 is just that. It's the first psalm in the book of 150 psalms. And we see all different types of psalms. There are psalms of lament and grief. There are psalms of song and praise and joy. There are psalms of repentance for sin, pleading for mercy and grace from God. And then there's wisdom psalms, psalms that are offering to us wisdom. And this psalm this morning is, is classified as a wisdom psalm. How do we experience blessing, happiness. So I want to answer that question for us this morning. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it look like? How do we know that we have it? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and hand out Bibles. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. As we reflect on the past year, as Benjamin stated, we don't know what, what each year brings our way, but you are faithful you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. You are always faithful to your word. Help us to be a people who love your word, who trust your word, and know that you will always be faithful to it. As we come to your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes, would incline our hearts to not only hear, but to treasure, delight, and live out what we hear in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers can come forward and hand out Bibles. If you're visiting with us or if you're new, feel free to raise your hand. You can keep this Bible, take it home with you, read it. Psalm 1 will be on page 418 of the Bibles that they are handing out. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now we're going to take this psalm and we're going to 
we're going to take two chunk verses at a time. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and then 5 and 6. And right off the bat, there's this statement, blessed is the man. Blessed. That, that word could be translated as happy. Happy is the man. Now, there's different words in Hebrew used for blessing. The word here would be like me saying, you are blessed. You're happy. One source rephrased it to more modern language as, that person leads the good life. We can understand that, can't we? Sometimes we see somebody or a family and we say, they have the good life. Things are going well for them. Maybe we say it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, but we can understand the saying, happy is the man. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm sure many of you in the room have seen at least one Hallmark Christmas movie in the last month or two. Come on, Brian's shaking his head over there. <laughs> My wife and I have, have seen some. Now, if you know anything about Hallmark Christmas movies, there's always a few ingredients that make them. One, it's always a love story. Always a love story, right? But in every movie, you often hear this phrase, I just want you to be happy. Someone has to make a life decision. They're going to take this job, or should they marry this person? What should they do? And maybe it's, it's the parents speaking to their adult children or a friend speaking to a friend, and they say, I just want your happiness. Now, what they mean by that is do whatever makes you happy. If this is going to make you happy, do it. Your happiness is the most important. And often, the happiness is based off of their circumstances, what they're doing. Now, we're going to come back to this in a moment, but I, I want us to think about that. What do you believe about happiness, blessedness in life? So the psalmist starts, and he's, he's, he's giving us this statement, blessed is the man. And we ask, who is this man? Who is this person? He's holding forth an example. If you're using the ESV, and this is also in the pew Bibles that were handed out, you'll see a number one next to that word man in verse one. And it's a footnote at the bottom of the page, which reads, the singular Hebrew word for man is used here to portray a representative example of a godly person. That's it. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's putting someone before us, an example, a representative of the blessed man. So what marks his or her life? What characterizes the blessed man's life? Well, he starts out by telling us what he doesn't do, what this man avoids. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. We have three verbs there and three nouns and three adjectives. And what the psalmist is doing is he's, he's giving us a picture of downward progression. Walk sit, stand, and then sit. The blessed man, the happy man, avoids this at all costs. He does not listen to the counsel outside of God in his word. We can understand this downward progression. 
all of us probably to some extent, whether it's major or minor. When I was, when I was in my teens, I grew up going to church. And I had a conscience and uh, some biblical mores of what was right and what was wrong. And as I was in my teens, all my friends were not Christians. And it started by hearing their counsel. How are they living? What are they doing? What are they calling me to do? This is cool. This is fun. Come on, Brant, come join in. Not too long after, I'm standing with them. I'm in the way with them. I'm doing what they are doing. And then finally, I'm sitting with them. That word scoff, it's like mocking, mocking. Not only was I doing what they were doing, I was encouraging others to do the same and mocking anyone not living this lifestyle. We, we can understand this. This is the story of Israel in the Old Testament. God called them. They were his people. He gave them his word and said, when you go into the land that I am giving to you, do not intermingle with the people. Do not go after their gods. It will destroy you. I love you. You're my people. It doesn't take too long into the New Testament to see how that, or in the Old Testament to see how that went. They didn't drive the people out. They're with them. They're listening to their counsel. Then they're doing what they're doing. And then when God sends them prophets to turn them from their ways, they're mocking them. They're scoffing at them. The blessed man avoids this. In what ways do we listen to the counsel of the wicked? In what ways might this progression in certain areas rear its way in our, into our lives? What does that look like? We seek to avoid it at all cost. The blessed man avoids it. Well, what does he do? If, if he's seeking to avoid this kind of life, what is he doing? We're told in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What comes to your mind when you hear the word law? As Christians, sometimes we squirm when we hear the word law. We're saved by grace, glorious truth. We are saved by grace through faith. No one is saved by the works of the law. And yet we know that God's law is good. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Law is good for the Christian. And yet sometimes we hear it and we, we squirm, but we need to define law. The Hebrew word here used for law, which is twice in verse 2, is Torah. It could be translated instruction. The Torah was, was Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. At Karen University, there is a class called the Pentateuch. I did not attend Karen University, but I took this class several years ago. And the textbook is uh, called The Torah Story by Gary Snickert. The, the goal 
in part of his textbook is to help the reader, the student, see the Torah as one story. It's one unified story. You can't just read Genesis. You have to read it as a whole. Now, I want to read a few quotes from this textbook that I think will help us understand what is this law that the, that the blessed man is meditating on and delighting in? What is it? In the textbook, it says, the Torah story establishes the larger biblical narrative as the story of God's word and the human revolution against that word. So it's the larger, it establishes the larger story of the whole Bible, of God's word, God's speaking, and the human revolution, our response of rejecting God and his word. Why do we do the things we do? Say the things we say. Why do we need to be saved? He goes on, if one can understand the statement, and God said, then one can understand the entire Torah. God's will is embodied in his word, Torah. If one can understand Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, then you can understand the entire story. God's will is in his word. He speaks And finally, the Torah is the beginning of a larger story that explains the meaning of the human situation, rebellion against God's word, and the hope for salvation, God's promise to save us through a Messiah. Torah is life. Torah is life. The Torah is a story. This law that the blessed man is meditating on is God's word. His story of how he created all things by his word. How he gave his promise to Adam and Eve and how they rebelled against his word. And yet God responded with a promise. I will send a seed, which we just celebrated. The seed came. God became a man. God gave his promise to Abraham. In him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt. Time after time, what we see is God being faithful to his word. This is what the blessed man is meditating on, delighting in God's word of who he is and what he does, of how we know him and his promise to love us, to be merciful to those who trust and fear him. There are laws in the Torah, but it's so much more. It encompasses so much more than just commands. And the blessed man is delighting in and meditating on. It's his delight, his pleasure, his joy. And not just some of it, all of it. Sometimes we have this tendency to love some of God's word, but not all of it. And we pick and choose. This man loves all of it. He loves God's command to not covet what other people have. He loves God's command to be faithful to his spouse. He loves God's command to have no other gods before him because there is no other. He loves God's command, his promise, that he would send a savior. He delights in it. 
It's his pleasure and his joy. You know, we often make a New Year's resolution. We want to read through the Bible in a year, which is great. I would encourage us to add on to that. Let us be a people who delight in God's word all year. That every time we open his word, it is our delight, our joy, and our pleasure. Not only is he delighting in it, he's meditating on it. It's poetic here. He's delighting in and meditating on. That word meditate means, it means moan or growl. It kind of has this, this uh, connotation of, of low undertones, like speaking to yourself. This man is speaking God's word to himself. He's mulling it over in his head. God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love, forgiving thousands. The implication is, is he knows God's word. He's hearing it. And he's letting it sink deep in. And it's his lifestyle. This isn't something he does for a week and then stop. He does this day and night. It marks his life and all of it. The implication is this man seeks to live within the word of God. He wants to be an obedient man to God. It's not legalism. He's not earning his salvation. He's responding to his faith in who God is and what he promises. I think the way we can sum up verse 2 is that God's word is his, is his treasure. These are heart words. It's so much more than just a knowledge. It's getting to our hearts, our delight, what we meditate on. When we treasure something, we think about it. We talk about it. We keep it. We guard it. We hold it close to us. My wife and I, we got our, our oldest son a small kid's camera for Christmas. He wears it around his neck. He's taking pictures all the time, playing games on it. It didn't take very long to see that he loves this gift. He treasures it. He treasures it. He talks about it, asks to play with it, wants it. It's his treasure. We know our treasure. We see it. And the happy man, the blessed man, treasures God's word. And so what we see here in the first two verses is that true happiness, true blessedness is found in treasuring God's word. What is this man's motive? What's our motive for treasuring and delighting God's word? Why would we? Why should we? I want to read a, a short passage from Deuteronomy 7. Moses is talking to the people, and he says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. 
You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Do you pick up on the first few verses there? It's because I love you that I chose you. You are my treasured possession, my treasured people. That has to be our motive. We can't just conjure some delight and joy within us. It's not magic. When we know that God loves us and treasures us and that he is steadfast in love and faithful to his word, that works in our hearts to treasure him. The psalmist is treasuring God's word because he knows that he is God's treasure. God's love him. God loves him. And it's true of us. We, in Christ, are God's treasured people. He loves us. And he's given us his word so that we would know him and love him and walk with him and delight in him. That is blessedness. Well, what does it look like? How do we see this in someone's life? This happiness, this blessedness. Verses three and four. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. He is like. The the, the psalmist is now gonna give us an illustration. What is this man like? What does his life look like as a result of meditating on and delighting in God's word. And the picture's very clear. We can all, in our minds, visualize a tree planted by streams of water versus a tree in the desert. The man dealing with God's word in this fashion is like a tree planted by streams of water. It's a picture of fruitfulness, There's stability, endurance, and perseverance. A tree planted, rooted, and anchored by water, being nourished and fed, bearing fruit whose leaf does not wither. It perseveres. It endures. This is is happiness. This is blessing. It's more than just mere circumstances and what we have. This is blessing. This is happiness. This is like the wise man, Jesus, that Jesus talks about who builds his house on his word on the rock. And when the winds and the storms batter the house, it stands because his life is built on the word of God. In all that he does, he prospers. That's a statement. In all that he does, he prospers? Really? in all that he does. It doesn't always feel that way. We read Psalm 112 this morning. I'm not gonna reread the the whole psalm, but I wanna just read a few verses. I think there's a few connections here that help us see more clearly what this prospering is, this blessing. And if if you notice, the psalm starts off very familiar. Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches are in his home. Light dawns in the darkness. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. This is the picture of the blessed man. And sometimes things are going well with him. There is a reality 
that when we are walking faithfully with God, we are blessed. And sometimes he blesses us in physical, material ways that we can see. That is a truth we should not shy away from. That is not a prosperity gospel. That is a reality that God is good. And sometimes he blesses us. Things generally go well when we walk with the Lord in faithfulness. We can understand this, right? As, as a parent, sometimes things generally go better for my kids when they're listening. It's just a reality. When they don't, things don't always go so well. It doesn't mean they're always disciplined for every infraction or all discipline comes with the same severity. But generally, when they're listening, things are going well. And so perhaps sometimes we don't experience this blessing and peace because we're not doing what we ought to do. We have to ask ourselves, is this me? Is this describing me? But it's so much more. Verse 7 in Psalm 112, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Even trees planted by streams of water face storms. But the blessed man is not afraid of bad news. No one likes to get bad news. It doesn't mean he's happy at bad news. But when the bad news come, and it comes, his heart is rooted in God's word. His heart is rooted in God's word. And so there's peace and there's, there's happiness because he knows God loves him and is with him. Some of us have received bad news. Brothers and sisters, hold on to God's word and his promises and you will be blessed. We've seen this. Have you ever seen someone and they're going through something, maybe it's a health crisis, but they just have this peace you would say they're blessed, they're happy, even though everything else seems to be going wrong. Because they know God in his word. They hold fast to it. And so we see that true happiness is a heart that is rooted in God's word. True happiness is a heart that is rooted in God's word. The blessed life, the happy life is not based on the salary you make, the title you have, the college you attend, the car you drive, the political party you align with. Happiness, true happiness is a heart, a man, a woman, a child trusting, resting in the Lord and in his word, delighting and meditating on it. This is what we see doesn't it sometimes, though, feel like the opposite? <laughs> Doesn't it sometimes see like those who aren't walking with God just have the good life? They have everything they want. They seem to be happier. Things are going so well. They never have problems. May Ecclesiastes 8 give us some wisdom here this morning. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet, I know, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Brothers and sisters, may we endure. 
May we not fall prey to the counsel of the wicked that says, go along, everything else will make you happier. No, I know it will be well with those who fear God. Keep fearing God. So, so notice the flow here. The man who is blessed, he treasures God's word, and the result is happiness, blessing, life, peace, stability, fruitfulness. But the wicked, the wicked are not so. We need to hear these warnings. Warnings in the Bible are good for us. The wicked is like shaft. Shaft would be the unwanted parts on the grain or seed, and when the farmer would go through the winnowing process, the shaft would, would be blown away. It was worthless. It's useless. I mentioned one time uh, that I like to roast my own coffee. And as you roast your own coffee, as heat is applied to the beans, the beans expand and shaft comes off the coffee. Every coffee roaster has a shaft collector which catches the shaft because it's blowing, it's so light. It's worthless, it's useless, you don't want it. Well, inevitably, some shaft still sticks to the coffee. And so when I'm done roasting, I'll pour the coffee into a colander and I'll shake it around and all I have to do is, the shaft goes everywhere, it's gone. I don't want it. It adds no value, no taste. There's nothing there. That's what the wicked are like. They will be blown away. That is a warning, a good, healthy warning for us this morning to hold fast. There is blessing and happiness in the word of God. Now, what is the outcome here? What is the final outcome of this, of the, the blessed man versus the wicked? Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Therefore, because the wicked are like chaff and will be blown away, they will not stand in the judgment they will not be in the congregation of the righteous. It doesn't mean that they won't be judged. I think part of their judgment, they're gone. They're blown away. They don't stand before God. Their works have been known, and it shows. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 7, not all who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. I will say, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. I didn't know you. Their life, their works were a manifestation of who they really are and what they really treasure and believe. But the righteous will stand. They will stand before God because God knows their way. Do you see the connection there? The blessed man does not walk in the way of sinners. It's not God's way. He delights in God's word, his will, the way of the Lord. And so the Lord knows his way because it's God's way. It's a reflection of who they are. Ultimately a reflection of their relationship with God. He knows them intimately. They are 
receiving their instruction and wisdom from the Lord and they will stand. The righteous will stand. They will never be moved. What's, What's more blessed or happier than that? God knows the way of the righteous. He knows you. He knows me. He knows us. And so we have here the picture of the blessed man, the happy man. I summarize this psalm this way. True happiness is a heart treasuring and rooted in God's word. True happiness is a heart treasuring and rooted in God's word. Now we have to ask, is this possible? Is this possible? I think sometimes as Christians we have this tendency to to read a psalm like this and then we just want to go and try as hard as we can. Or we just feel leveled with guilt that I could never do this. Is this possible? Can you and I experience this? And the answer is no and yes. (laughs) No in the sense that nobody can do this perfectly. None of us can delight in God's word all the time and meditate on it all the time. In fact, when we read the Bible, as we read earlier, we come face to face with our rebellion. Where God promised a seed, a Messiah. This psalm is a description of Jesus. He is the blessed man. He is the one who truly delights and treasures and meditates on God's word. He is the one who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers ever. Ever. Jesus told his disciples that he was the fulfillment of all the law, prophets, and psalms. Jesus is the blessed man. But he became the cursed man. The blessed man became the cursed man so the cursed ones could become the blessed ones. Let the gospel feed our souls this morning with treasure and delight in him. Jesus came to save us. He lived this psalm and yet he stood in the way of sinners. He stood in our place for us though he did no wrong. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, let this warning point you to the promise of Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there asking, what do I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Call upon him and he will give you life and you will know blessing and happiness. He will make you like a tree planted by streams of water. And yet we can experience this. This psalm wasn't written to make us feel guilty. This psalm was written to to offer us wisdom. Part of the new covenant of knowing Jesus is that God promised he would write his law on our hearts. It doesn't mean we'll experience this psalm perfectly, but we can do it. We can experience this. We can go against the grain, the counsel of the wicked. 
We can be a people who delight in treasure in God's law, though we may not do it perfectly. Psalm 119 is a psalm all about loving God's word. Line after line, the psalmist, I love your law, I love it, it's my treasure, it's my joy, it's my delight, I love it. Listen to the last verse in that psalm. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. I've gone astray, I don't forget your commandments. That's, that's the fight, the struggle we all face. We are a people who want to love and keep God's word, and we struggle, but we can do it. We can experience it. I believe that. So where do we go from here? What's our application? Now, if you've noticed, there's no, there's no command in this psalm. There's no direct command, go do this. There is an implication that Christians are knowing God's word. They know it. You and I cannot delight in and meditate on that which we do not know. If we never read the Bible, God's word, if we never study it, if we don't hear it, we cannot delight and meditate on it. But we're called to do this. So, so my encouragement for us as we go into a new year, our application is that we would be asking God to work this in our hearts. There's, there, we see these prayers throughout Psalm 119. The psalmist will pray, God, incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes that I would behold the wondrous things of your law satisfy me with your steadfast love. And so my prayer, and perhaps we start there, perhaps going into the new year, that's where you and I start, reading Psalm 119 prayerfully. Lord, work this in me. Give me a love for you and your word. Exclaim it, God, I love your law. It's my delight. And then we will experience a true happiness and blessing this new year. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. Your word is life. In your word, we hear the gospel that you who knew no sin became sin for us so that in you we would become righteous. In your word, we hear that you are kind and merciful and gracious, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us. In your word, we hear how you call us to come confidently, boldly to your throne of grace that we would receive mercy and how often we don't. Lord, forgive us for any coldness in our hearts towards you and your word. And we pray that as a church, you will enliven our hearts with a love for your word, that it will be our joy, our treasure, and our delight. And we would know peace and happiness, even in bad news our hearts would be firm, trusting in you. Lord, you alone can do this, and you promise to do it. You promise to give your spirit to those who ask, and so we ask that by your spirit, you work in our hearts a deep love for you and your word, because we know that you love and treasure us. Let that sink into our hearts this year. Send us out, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.
The Lord bless and keep you. Thank you. Happy New Year.